following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast, member of Talking Metal Digital. Hey, Metalheads and Headbangers, this is Dolo Cash, and you're listening to Victor here on Mars Attacks Radio. I wish you a great time, rock on, and keep metal alive. Hi, this is Udgert Sada of UDO, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Crankin'. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorp of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Robert Fleshman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Mars Attacks. Radio. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome once again to another episode of Mars Attacks. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me for this episode, once again, we have Chris Sinzak from the Decibel Geek podcast. Chris, how are you tonight? I'm great. How are you doing, Victor? I'm doing excellent tonight. We uh, wrapped up a another show a little earlier today. Uh, not sure when this will air, but um, I'm sure it will be enjoyable nonetheless. So, um, been checking out some of the um, interviews and different things that you guys have been doing over at Decibel Geek. Uh, first of all, you guys did put a new website together, which is an awesome new site. Makes me envious of having a website that's looked the same for five years, but. Um, I know that was plenty of uh, blood, sweat, and tears on your end, and I'm glad that it's finally up, and oh, I'm sure you're you. happy with the result, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's uh, it was a lot of work, and you know, and we even had a programmer doing a lot of the legwork this time, but of course he wants to know what we want to see, and so that's a lot of back and forth. But no, we had a blogger website before this that I had figured out and put together, but you know we have a lot of writers that are volunteer writers that are on staff and they just they do a, we have so many that it was got it got to the point where like with the blogger layout you just have you know your articles going just down in a row and then it goes next page and you know some days we some weeks we'd have like you know five or six things and then like a bunch of stuff from just the week before was getting bumped off the first page and most people that still visit websites they they'll just look at that front page and they don't dig deeper yeah. so it's kind of like a lot of good stuff is falling by the wayside and then on top of that, I would have, you know, people say, oh, I like your Radio Sucks radio show episodes where you just play the music, or I just like your interview shows, or I just like your Vinnie Vincent specials. And so we've basically solved that problem by having everything separated into categories all over the website. And, on the, and you can do pretty much everything from the front page. Um, all the different types of episodes, year in review episodes, um, up, and then we have like a listing of upcoming releases and 
uh, one of our best writers, Rich Dillon, who's been with the site pretty much since the beginning, um, he puts that together. So he, he'll list a whole thing, a listing of albums that are going to come out from hard rock and heavy metal bands, and which has been helpful for me because I don't, I can't keep track anymore of everything. And um, <laughs> right, our you know our social media stuffs on there: Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our um, Twitter. All of that is on. Everything's on the front page and. We also have a cool section called Friends, and that's in the sidebar, and you click that, and on there you will find Mars Attacks as one of the shows listed. Awesome. Yeah, that, so is... I, that was one thing that was in the planning, because like on the blogger thing, it's not real great as far as like link building and stuff, and I'm on a, we're on a platform called WordPress, for those of you that aren't like tech geeks. Uh, it makes it very easy to customize a website and make it look the way you want it to look. And so that section we're real proud of because it's, you know, you don't, you know, and our show has, we, we're not where we'd like to be yet, but I mean, we've grown a lot and gotten a good audience and, but you don't get that audience and, you know, without the help of other people sharing your stuff and going yeah. on other cool shows like this one and, and, you know, good people like Victor that share our link and invite me onto a show. And so it's podcasting is very different from radio in that respect because radio, it's all about, you know, competition and rivalry, and, and I'm not going to talk to him, or I'm not going to help them out. And, and it's, to podcasting, it's different. You know, we don't have marketing budgets, we don't have a uh, a promotional team pushing our stuff, and we're not fighting for the prime time drive slot on a uh, in you know in a certain city. So um, it's very uh, you know one thing leads to another. If like if it wasn't for podcasts and shows like them and Mars Attacks, I wouldn't have started a show. And then there's other shows that are newer that have told us that we're you know, part of the reason why they decided to do this too. So it's it's cool that these shows help each other out, and it's you know there is a little bit of rivalry with some shows I've noticed, but I'm not going to name names. But um, <laughs> it's its own little universe with rock and metal podcast. It really is, man. It's and you know how it is. You've been doing it longer than me, Victor. A year, but I mean, considering uh, you know all the time I've taken off for for different issues and, and whatnot, I think you guys actually have. More episodes than I do, so. Well, um, I went to you for advice early on. Well, you know, I I've always been um, grateful for, you know, you guys always talking up my show and and um, you know uh, I've had to pay Chris plenty of money over the years uh, <laughs> to help him say s- such kind words and you know this link didn't come cheap that he's saying about the the friend section I don't know what he charged every everyone else but you know man my wife wasn't too happy after seeing uh, you know what was gone from our bank account this month so I'm, I'm retiring next month so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I figured you're going to use the money for the for the Vinnie Vincent episode, but I guess retiring would make more sense. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's more likely for me to retire than to get a Vinnie Vincent interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, what a guy! Yeah. Well, you, you recently uh, interviewed Mark Slaughter, and uh, we've talked about the interview a little bit behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is something that I haven't asked you, so I, I figured it would be. Um, pertinent to ask uh for a show um was there anything that he said to you that really surprised you that you didn't expect either that he would answer or maybe one of the answers uh was um was extremely revealing to you that you didn't expect him to uh answer a question a certain way 
Um, well, yeah, a few things. Like the, uh, you know, I had Rick Fox on my show very early on. He was one of the first guests we ever had. And uh, yeah. he was on before Aaron even came on the show. And during that talk, you know, well, he was on for one of the Vinnie Vincent specials. And he had mentioned that he was in a band called Sin in the 80s. And uh, they had a song called On the Run. And he had claimed that, uh, that I guess Vinnie had visited the studio or something. And they were recording that song. And that... Uh, that song wound up being kind of just transformed and ripped off and put on All Systems Go under the title Let Freedom Rock, which is one of the songs on the album. And, you know, Rick has told me this, and Rick's a great guy, but and I'm not I'm not calling anything that he says into question because I, be I believed him, but there's a lot of people that call a lot of stuff Rick says into question. Um, so I was kind of like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not, but... Um, Mark backed his, his story up, and I was surprised how openly he admitted to that. Um, the, and that was another weird thing was, like, Mark was one of the people. Mark and Tommy Thayer were recording the background vocals in the studio for Sin when Vinny and Dana visited that studio. And and that's where they heard the song. And, and uh, so I guess Mark was helping out with that. But then Mark, you know, Mark mentions in the interview that when they got back to the studio, Vinny was like, I like that riff. And, and I was like, so he admitted to ripping it off. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's, he basically said, fuck it, it's a good riff, uh, let him sue us or something like that. And, right. And I, that surprised me because I, I figured he wouldn't want to go into that. There were a few questions I was nervous about asking because <laughs> but, but I had decided that day that I was like, you know, and I've been trying for four years to get an in-person interview with Mark. Um, on and off. It's not like I'm emailing him every week or anything, but every few months I'd say, hey, you know, we'd like to get you on. And, you know, he didn't have anything to really promote. And uh, he knew, I think he knew we were going to talk a lot of Vinnie Vincent. So he wanted to wait till he had something to push before he sat down and delved into all this stuff. Right. And um, so, but I decided when we got him at the table at this restaurant, I was like, well, screw it. I've waited four years. I might as well just ask everything I possibly can and not be afraid. And, you know, I asked stuff about, uh, you know, was he nervous singing uh, or lip syncing to Robert Fleischman's vocals on the Boys Are Gonna Rock video, which he did kind of evade me a little bit on that. He kind of changed the subject about not. He didn't really answer that directly. He just started talking about the way the video was filmed. But yeah. But it was, um, but no, he didn't like he didn't get pissed off at me at any point, and there were a few questions I was worried we were going to piss him off. But uh, yeah, he's he's a super great guy. I mean, everyone had told me he's a great guy, and and he he truly proved it. Very cool. Um, yeah, I wonder if you listened to uh, Robert Fleischman's comments on that previous, and maybe that's why he dodged it. Because <laughs> I'm sure, I mean. <laughs> Robert's bitched about that enough over the years that I mean, word has to have gotten back to him. I mean, mm -hmm. well, so I, maybe, um, you know, when I interviewed Robert, he, you know, he wasn't he acted like he wasn't very pleased about Mark doing it, and then, um, actually, I was I had I was had a false alarm on getting an interview with him about a year ago, and I stayed in touch with Robert, and I had told him, you know, um. I'm gonna, it looks like we're close to getting an interview with Mark Slaughter, and he was like, "Okay, cool." And uh, I said, "I said something about uh, 
I was kind of just joking around with something like, do you want me to pass pass on a fuck you to him or something like that? Because he came mm-hmm. off a little bit bitter towards Mark in my interview with him. And yeah. and he surprised me. He's like, no, I, he's like, he's like, Mark took a job that anyone else would have taken and did a good job at it. I don't blame him at all. And I'm not mad at him at all. You know, his <laughs> his Robert says his hatred lies squarely. Well, a with Vinny and more so with Dana. Mark uh, Robert really did not like Dana Strong. Yeah, that that's interesting though because if you don't like Vinny, then why go back and record with him? <laughs> You've asked me this before. Yeah. Years yeah. years later, you know, it just doesn't. It, it sort of doesn't make sense. I, I I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, you guys have talked to him. You guys have talked to um, uh, Andrew Labelle as well, or is it Andre Labelle? Yeah, Andre. Andre. Okay, my well, bad. I, mean, I, uh, think, I think Robert is. Robert's a talented guy, and I think, Vin, and you know, Vinny talked Gene and Paul into working with him again too. So something tells me that Vinny, when he wants to be, can be incredibly charming and and uh, persuasive. You know, he if he could talk Gene and Paul into working with him again after all that they had been through, you know, that tells you something. And, yeah, very true. Yes, and he's incredibly talented. You know, no matter no matter what shenanigans the guys pulled. You can't deny his talent as a songwriter and a player. So Robert probably is like, well, you know, the guy's got a lot of talent. Maybe we can put something together. So I don't really blame him for doing it. Oh, me neither. I mean, I love all the stuff that he's done with Vince. Although, honestly, I'm I'm not a super big fan of the Guitars from Hell album that didn't get released that we've heard tracks from. I don't – it's a little too over the top for me, you know, because – the the first invasion album I like better than all systems go just as a, as a music fan because it right. is for the, I like it because it's over the top but it still retains you know a lot of catchy hooky songs but and there's there's real choruses and there's a lot of melody to it but that uh, guitars from hell stuff that he did is just almost like atonal jazz type stuff where it's just let's just purely rip and show off and that's what it comes off. And it just doesn't. I don't think it's nearly as good. I know us. A lot of Vinny fans think it's his best work. I just don't. No, I, I think in my opinion, I'm I'm with you. The first Invasion album to me is just so was just so out there and just it was done correctly. I mean, he wanted to show that he could shred and be like a guitar god, like like Invay and all these other people. Yeah. And he yeah. got the point across. You could tell that with All Systems Go, obviously the label got involved and told him the coolest shit with, with a lot of the uh, solos and whatnot. And and I think out of the unreleased stuff, the, the EP that actually was distributed at the uh, Kiss Expos and that you can find on iTunes. Or the uh, that's from... Speedball Jam. Is that what... Or no, that oh. was... No, 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 no. Whatever. Um... I don't remember yeah. what they called it. Or it was Euphoria, wasn't it? Euphoria, that's it. Right. That's probably the the best out of all of the tracks that, that weren't released. Everything that was on there was Euphoria, it was uh, Get the Lead Out, it was yeah. Wild Child, and it may have been one other track. Well, yeah, and, there's, there's some unreleased stuff that's floating around out there, too. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. The, a lot of the unreleased stuff is just... I agree with you. And Speedball Jam was just asinine. Just a CD that's 74 minutes long, one track, and it's just soloing for 74 minutes. It's Yeah, and it's just, it's I don't know, it's just him. It's a warm-up. It's all it is. It's him just jerking off a guitar. 
you know, <laughs> there's nothing, there's really no structure to it at all. None whatsoever. Yeah. Similar to this yeah. episode, but... Uh... <laughs> I knew we'd land on Vinnie Vincent before too long. No, I mean, that wasn't a conscious effort. You know, if not, I would have pulled out, you know, I would have dusted off the uh, big puffy wig, would have worn it, would have prepared some questions, but... Uh, <laughs> well, my wife, my wife is ready for me to shut up about Vinnie Vincent, I'll tell you that. Is she? Oh, yeah, because I'll start talking about him, and she'll just be like, quit talking about him, just leave him alone, and she's like, because he's like, y'all come off so weird when you talk about him. Oh, yeah, she, she she thinks I'm crazy as shit for talking about him. Is she going to do one of these um, like YouTube videos with that guy years ago with, leave Brittany alone? <laughs> no, she's not defending him, trust me on that. She just she, <laughs> she just thinks we go too far with talking about him, because he's not active anymore, and, you know... But the was you know, and the Mar- the thing with Mark was, he's pushing a record, so I w- I wasn't about to call it a Vinnie Vincent special because that's not really fair to him, you know. Right. But I did label it with the Vinnie Vincent specials. If you go to the website, go to decibelgeek.com, and uh, go to the features and click on VV special, and it'll show up in there. But just because there's so much Vinnie material, but I don't know, you know, I don't know how, you know, I keep thinking I'm, I I always keep saying I'm not gonna do another special on him because there's. What else is there to talk about? But then I keep finding people. So, yeah. And then I just found out last week that um, Gary Shea, the bass player, who play, well, most people know him from playing in Alcatraz. Um, right. He also England. played with New England and was was in also that pre-Kiss Vinny band called War. that had the title of Warrior for a while. Um, mm-hmm. He was playing in that group. Um, so, and Hirsch Gardner had told me about him. But I didn't talk to him or anything, and I noticed he liked our fan page. So now I'm like, told Aaron, I'm like, well, Gary Shea just liked our fan page. He's like, VV Special Part 6? I'm like, "Ah, maybe. So I don't know if he wants to talk or not. (laughs) Two words for you. Heck yeah. (laughs) I know those two words. I know know that that you do. The the, the two funny things that, that... just came to mind while you just said that whole spiel. One is you pulled a Gene Simmons on me there um, oh, as, as, as you were plugging the site and, and the discussion. Well, yeah. if you go yeah. over to Kiss Online, I can't do the voice, obviously, but, you know, you, you pull you know, that in. If you go to com, <laughs> you can get an Aaron Camaro c- casket. No, um, no I, I've, I've, learned, I've learned from the best. <laughs> oh man! Did you hear Mark's yes. impression of Gene during the interview? I did. Well, I mean, he he's done so much voiceover work over yeah. the years. Yeah. I mean, it was it was great. I mean, to to me, the 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 ultimate ultimate Gene Simmons impersonation, and I turned you on to this episode. It was um, uh, now I can't remember the guy's name. He was on Eddie Trunk. Uh, Craig Gas. Craig Gas. Yeah, he's he's great at it. Yeah, and, and he was talking about how um, uh, how how the major D of the crews wanted him to say something in the morning, and he got on doing a oh, Gene yeah. Simmons voice, saying that they just hit an iceberg, and for seven thousand dollars they could <laughs> kiss would would uh, would escort them into a lifeboat and help I'd them off the ship. Yeah, <laughs> a picture with Kiss on your lifeboat. There you go. People were believing it too. That's the sad thing. Yeah, I'm not paying those fuckers any more money for <laughs> to get me off the boat. That's great. 
<laughs> we'll let you live for 7K. Yeah. It's, speaking of the, the whole Kiss Cruise, we'd also been talking behind the scenes about somewhat of a dilemma, or not a dilemma, but there, there are people that are complaining that um, that Steel Panther are playing the main stage at, at the Kiss Cruise. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was, to me, and I, I wanted to get your take on this, uh, I think it's sort of ridiculous, to be honest with you, because, I mean, Kiss, after all, is, is a rock and roll band. Um, mm-hmm. Given all of the imagery that they've had over the years, and, and I know that people have said, oh, well, that was in the 70s, 40 years ago. Yeah, well, when they did the, the reunion tour and you had this, like, whole big giant parking lot full of topless babes, uh, them in, like, limos and, like, choppers or whatever. That wasn't that long ago, you know? Um, there, When Lady Gaga appeared with them, uh, basically topless, uh, that was a year or two ago. And um, I don't know, it's not as if the lyrics are, are, are talking about going to Sunday school and baking cupcakes, you know, I mean, and, and you go back to monster on monster. You, you have lyrics uh, on uh, take me below where he's basically saying something to the extent of, let me show you my submarine. So, I mean, again, the, the band isn't exactly a G rated band. Um, it's, and I mean, it's, I, I, I understand that steel Panthers a little bit more over the top, but, I mean, me as a parent, I would think that's my job to shield my kids away from something that I feel they can't handle or shouldn't listen to, as opposed to saying, oh, well, no one should listen to this because I don't approve of it. Well, this is, I think it's getting upset over it is much ado about nothing, because honestly, and I don't know what the agenda is for the Kiss Cruise, but I would think that while Steel Panther is playing, don't they usually have more than one thing going on? Yeah, they they do, and I mean a lot of these bands play you know on the different nights, and and it's at a revolving slot, so to make sure that if people miss one act, they're able to get to see another one, and if not, if they don't want to see, you know that comedian or or that act, they can do something else. And a ship is big enough nowadays that's, you know, a lot of these cruise ships are. Or longer than the Empire State Building is tall, so it's almost like a yeah. a small city, you know, on water. Well, so I, in, in the end, there's enough entertainment to do something where you don't have to be forced to seeing them. Right. Well, Steel Panther. I mean, they're they're very obnoxious. They're very lewd in their lyrics, and they are absolutely 100 percent not a family friendly band. But <laughs> there's more than that going on on the cruise, and there, I know there's kids' areas, and the and the, here's a thought: keep your kids in the room while they're playing. I mean, it's not, you know, you, it's not like they are being tied up and held at gunpoint and going listen to these guys sing about you know my cock is community property. I mean, it's it's getting upset over this is really kind of silly. It's and you know, and then if somebody's saying, "Well, Kiss is kind of a family-friendly thing," I do get that. I mean, people take their kids to see the Kiss because Kiss meant a lot to them as a kid. But they've always been sexually driven. That's always been a that's always been their main modus operandi. If I can use a yeah. big word like gymnasium, um, but <laughs> I I don't know. It's 
I don't, you know, maybe since Psycho Circus, there's more of a family type vibe, you know, and that, but that's a marketing tool more than anything else. Right. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just getting bent out of shape over what one of these one of these other bands that's playing on the cruise is doing. I don't know. It just seems a little silly to me because there's plenty of other options on there. And if you're if you're a music fan going on the cruise. Then I, and also, if you're a parent, I would think you would check out the bands before you take your kid in to see them. Right. You know, why doesn't Why don't we let that be the parents' discretion whether they take their kid over there to see Steel Panther play? But you know, we're gonna suddenly get upset about band singing about sex. I mean, yeah, really? It, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. It's it's not as if you know you're you're taking your kids into um, into seeing them and all of a sudden, Daddy, what's an Asian hooker? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's no, I don't, I don't see, my, I don't see the reason for the outrage, but you know, that's just my opinion. If somebody else feels differently, then you know, good for them. But I'm not going on the cruise anyway, so it doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, listen, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I've got so many of my friends right now boarding the Monsters of Rock cruise, and I'm so jealous. But you know, I got bills to pay. That's it. They, but, you know, donate button at decibelgeek.com and give us some money. No, <laughs> Hell, everyone else does it. Why not? Want to keep up with all things Mars Attacks? Show your support by liking us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. Follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash Mars Aries 2005. Don't want to miss out on an episode of the podcast? Go to iTunes or to Stitcher and subscribe. While you're there, leave us your comments. For more information, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. From Mars Attacks, Chris Vaglio. Yeah, I always remember you talking about this band a lot. So when I saw it on the list, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. This is definitely going back to, uh, you know, <laughs> back then. I guess it was their first release at the time that um, that you were big on. Well, yeah, what? I remember Slip. Slip was the first one, and that was um, that was uh, on Island uh, Polydor, I think, too. And that that record kind of. I remember too. I remember when we were working at the station. They, they there was a lot of anticipation for for that record uh, because before that they had released just an EP on on Revelation Records, right. and there was a lot of anticipation for that record. And it came out and it was awesome. But I remember though when we were at the station. I mean, we used to, they used to push it so hard on us. He used to be like, oh, you guys got a market number one. And he used to always, always be pushing it to play that record and give it up. And I was listening to it. You know, that that was really like my first exposure to it was being at the radio station, getting that and being like, oh my God, these guys are, these guys are so awesome. And then I saw them play with, um, with Rage Against the Machine. And I saw them, um, actually saw them play with, um, Orange Nine Millimeter into another, which two all, all, other awesome great bands in that time right. um, at a place called the Academy in New York that's not even there anymore. And uh, even saw them at uh, City Gardens down in Trenton, too. I mean, they used to play down there, like, constantly. I mean, you could pretty much go see them almost any weekend in New York. It was awesome. Um, so they did a reunion show. They, they've been doing some reunion shows recently. They And last year we went, and they did a little small string of reunion shows, and they were just amazing. And then they, they, they just played New Year's Eve, too, in Brooklyn. I didn't get to go to that, but uh, he ripped it up. I heard. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, like I said, I remember you always talk them up. So it's awesome to, uh, you know, bring 
bring these different flavors into the show where, you know, other people probably aren't going to, you know, have the same passion for the band. So this, this is awesome. <laughs> cool. 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 Want to help the show out? You can do so by hitting the donate button on the right hand corner of the homepage or by using one of our affiliates links. Affiliates include Amazon, iTunes, FYE, HBO, and WWE. To check out the full list of affiliates, go to the affiliates link on the homepage. The man has done everything, fanzines, various podcasts, and is the director and producer for the documentary Inside LA Metal, Bob Nalbandian. Absolutely. The, the, the best part for me and the, the biggest eye-opener from your documentary was something Joey Vera said, by the way, uh, in how MTV became or how MTV, in his opinion, destroyed um, radio across the country and just the various scenes that were across the country, uh, how MTV became like a national um radio station if you will mm. and it, it was amazing how in your documentary how you talk about the scene how it was out in california and how it seemed like bands could make a living just touring you know california and the various different cities throughout the state and and whatnot and how that pretty much has dissipated since and and every other area uh, across the country was was more or less similar though the ones that did have have scenes um how i mean i think that even even you mentioned that dio selected all these guys from la and everything but a lot of these people in the end were transplants from from other areas as a result of other scenes dying off um what similarities do you see between how metal sort of went underground uh, when the punk and new wave um, became king per se, as to other points in time, like in in the early '90s or, or even today. Do you see any similarities? Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I love the quote Joey said. I think that is so true. And yeah. about MTV um, uh, going back to that, and I and I think uh, you know that was a bold statement and something that uh, a lot of people don't say. Everyone like turns to say, you know, well, MTV really popularized heavy metal. And I, and I always say, no, heavy metal popularized MTV. Yeah. You know, there were bands like Metallica that never did a video that were already selling 3 million albums, you know? So yeah. uh, MTV saw that metal was huge. So they hopped on the metal bandwagon. Yes, it did. It absolutely popularized metal, but metal would have been popular regardless, I think, you know, but I think metal did more for MTV than MTV did for metal, because as Joey says, MTV ultimately did ruin metal because it became that cookie cutter mentality. And, and back in the day, as you said, a lot of these bands were able to make money on their own uh, playing uh, locally mm -hmm. and the clubs paid them very well. It's, it's, it's uh, ironic you say that because I just the conference call I had was was regarding a, um, a, a a charity event. I was talking to the guy and he was talking about the the documentary, how much he relates to it, because he was in a band called Secret City that used to play the Starwood all the time. And he was saying, oh. this, he goes, dude, we, we did shows there with like Legs Diamond and stuff at the Starwood. We made so much money 
And here's an unsigned band that no one knew of, never had a record out or anything, that were able mm-hmm. to make you know money playing locally. And it, and it hasn't been like that anymore. And I think from what you say from the 70s to the 90s, the 70, late 70s into the early 80s, you had punk and new wave, mm-hmm. which dominated, but it didn't kill out metal. And I, I think Dave Medichetti has, has a great quote saying that when, when punk came out, uh, in the documentary, he talks about how when the punk scene came into the L.A. scene, there was still room for metal. There was room for everybody, you know, to play. Unlike in the grunge scene, where when grunge hit, everything, radio, media, everything, it's grunge, grunge only. This is what's at, you know. But still, when punk hit, there were still outlets for metal, and the bands could still play. And uh, it wasn't as predominant press-wise and media-wise. It was all about punk and new wave and you know, everyone talks about the 80s being the, the metal years of MTV, but you got to remember the early 80s was all new wave. And then yeah. Motley Crue and, you know, Quiet Riot and Iron Maiden, 83, 84, 85, slowly started kicking in. But it wasn't really until the mid to late 80s, really the late 80s were the poisons and the warrants where it, you know, it was the hair metal movement on MTV. But the first half of the 80s was dominated by New Wave and, you know, the, the Billy Idols and, uh, uh, you know, all, all the, the Duran Durans and, you know, all those kind of bands. So, um, but, but there still was room for metal. And, and, I, and I agree with Dave Medichetti where he says when, it, when grunge did come out, when you're talking about when the 90s hit, it was all, it had to be grunge or nothing. I remember I was at Roadrunner Records in 1990 and there was a amazing band i think this band should have been huge a band called last crack i don't know if you right. remember them they had a their second album their first album was was not very good their second mm-hmm. album burning time was amazing david jordan produced it yes. and dave of <laughs> course had worked with allison chains and jane's addiction and i would push that album and and i remember this one radio station said oh yeah we love we love all these Seattle bands. I guess he thought the band was Seattle because Dave Jordan produced it, you know. And oh yeah, we're really a hip on the grunge market. Well, we, yeah, we do all the. We, we would love to do something like that. Oh great, that's awesome. I said yeah, that's great. But, but by the way, just so you know, they're they're actually not from Seattle. They're from uh, uh, Wisconsin. And he goes, oh really? And, and it was a mistake for me to say that. I was just correcting go. I didn't think he would like go. Oh well, well you know we're really into the Seattle bands. I'm thinking. Dude, what the fuck does it matter? You like the music. You like the way it sounds. You know, who gives a fuck if they're not? But that's how it was. It was all that Seattle grunge thing or nothing. And there were so many times I got frustrated where, uh, you know, not just that band, but a lot of other bands. If it's not grunge, we're really into the Seattle grunge. That's, That's our thing right now. That's, you know, it's that or nothing. And I think in the 70s, you didn't have that mentality uh, uh, per se, you know, yet you had different uh, avenues of everything. But if, if you look at the early 90s, all the press, it was like almost overnight, metal is dead. It's all about grunge and alternative music. You know, the, this, not only the Seattle bands, but the Smashing Pumpkins, the, you know, Jane's Addictions, the Chili Peppers. Uh, this is the new thing. Fuck everything else. You know, just entirely concentrate on this. And that is true. The, the industry did. It became a trend. It became a fad. It wasn't, you know, an, an underground phenomenon at all. Really, if you look at it, grunge was more commercial and more corporate than uh, metal and hair metal ever was in, in that sense. So, um 
yeah, I, I, I mean, going back to your questions, there was a difference from the 70s when metal was kind of at its low, the late 70s, uh, because of the punk and the new wave to in the 90s. I think it was it was more forced out in the 90s uh, purposely like, OK, this this is the new music. You know, everything else is old. You know, this is it. We're going with this. Whereas, uh, uh, you know, when punk came out, like I think Dave Medicetti says, hey, here's something new. This is exciting. And we also have this as well. So, you know, it, it was just, you know, another form of music that came out. Why do you think the mentality changed so that it was only one way or the highway? What, what Money. Money and business. It became... Because that was when the corporate, because in, in the 70s, it, it wasn't that all, all that core. You still had fans at the stations and at the record companies. So fans would still be into that, uh, uh, whatever. not so much the record labels at that, but, but at least the radio stations. If the fan, you know, you still had radio, you had KMET that did the Mighty Metal Hour, you had different program directors and, and all that that were still pumping metal and K West and, you know, stations in San Antonio and New York and all all that that played exclude they didn't really change our format so you had you still had that whereas uh in the 90s it became this it, it be, everything became trend and, and music and fashion really tied together and it was like okay this is the new thing this is what's going to make us money this is what we this is the new trend this is what we got to hop on and so everybody did it you know around the board you know all the LA um labels were going to Seattle to sign bands you know that was like the hip thing to do. So it yeah, was I, yeah, I remember being in college radio at the time, and and you'd get the obscurest bands being signed. Oh well, this band opened up for Nirvana before they were unsigned, and this and that. I said, well, but they suck. I mean, is it just the point that you know there there are good bands out there, whether they're from Seattle or, or Last Crack? That album that you just mentioned was amazing. And it, I remember a few years back when Joey Jordanson was in Slipknot, he actually mentioned the album and said that it was one of his favorite albums ever to be pulled out by put out by Roadrunner. And I oh, thought really? it was amazing that, that, that someone brought that album up because at the time I remember playing the shit out of it. Yeah, you uh, know, people like you were so into that album. We, I mean, there were there were people that just praised that band, but very very underground. None yeah. of the media, and we really tried to push that band. And I mean, unfortunately, they 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 went like way over budget on the recording because you know Roadrunner was very small back then. They didn't. I mean, I think their biggest band at the time was Sepultura with Arise, and they were still very underground. You know, this is way before this is before Typo broke. I think they had just signed Typo, and you know, long before the Slipknots and the Nickelbacks and all that. So they were a very small label, and having Dave Jordan produce an album for them was was a big thing for an independent label like roadrunner at the time and uh you know it i i don't know what i think it was just premature not too many people um took it seriously and uh and again just because it wasn't grunge although i think it kind of fit into that sound it was still a, a great metal record but it it could kind of fit into that alternative metal uh thing a bit but because it wasn't uh you know considered grunge it just, it it just fell by the wayside, unfortunately. But it was a fantastic album. I think their cover may have been what um, what what may have turned most people away from it. I mean, oh, from um, the first album when he's naked, that one. Or it, the, yeah, yeah. I I think that may have been 
what what probably took more people and uh, they saw that and they pigeonholed the band afterwards, you know? That's true. That that I, I did hear a lot about that when that album came out and, and again the, what was it, Sinister Funk House something? And that mm-hmm. album, you know, wasn't very good and they and I think people kinda wrote them off there and they didn't really give them a chance. And I don't think a lot of people really took the time to listen to the second album. Yeah, uh, I, unfortunately. I Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 